Welcome to the fourth season of Version 20 Podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you are a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder in 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Now let's get to this week's episode. Elliot Roger was born in 1991 in London. His father, Peter, worked in the film industry, directing TV commercials, and worked on the hit movie, The Hunger Games. While his wife, who was a nurse, worked on the set of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Growing up, Elliot was kind and thoughtful, a cute boy with a mop of black hair who liked to laugh. When Elliot was five, the family moved to California, and life was good. Two years later, his life was turned upside down when his parents divorced. It devastated him, and that's when he started seeing a therapist. In elementary school, Elliot was quiet and withdrawn, rarely spoke more than a word, and had few friends. He wore the same clothes and was very particular about things and placed his silverware at the dinner table in exactly the same spot every time. Elliot had a front row seat to Hollywood and the entertainment industry's most powerful and glamorous celebrities. He dreamed of being popular and hanging out with the cool kids, but had trouble fitting in. In an attempt to help him, his parents moved him from school to school. Elliot kept a journal of his innermost thoughts. ABC News reported that he wrote, My little nine-year-old self realized that there were hierarchies, that some people were better than others. This was a turning point for Elliot. His jealous and rage began to build, but outwardly, he hid his pain. He realized that life wasn't fair and that girls chose the boys they wanted. And Elliot was never chosen. In high school, he was bullied, pushed into lockers, and had food thrown at him. He felt small, weak, and worthless. He cried every day and withdrew further into himself. At 13, Elliot sought refuge from the world he considered cruel and retreated into the cyber world of fictional fantasy games. After high school, he was disillusioned at how his life had turned out. He never had a girlfriend and wondered if he ever would. When he saw a couple walking hand in hand, he fantasized about punishing them because their life was better than his. In the summer of 2011, Elliot turned 19. This would be a defining time in his life. He would either find love and acceptance or get revenge on the world that had rejected him. He moved out of his mother's and into an apartment in Isla Vista near the Santa Barbara Community College that he was attending. 
A month later, when Elliot was in a coffee shop, he spotted a young couple kissing, and it angered him. When they left, he followed and threw his coffee at them. The boy yelled, and it scared Elliot, and he ran. Afterwards, he realized he wanted more. He wanted to kill them. Weeks later, he repeated the scenario two more times. Attending college became a painful reminder of his failures. Comparing himself to other students, he felt inferior and invisible. In February, Elliot dropped out. He knew he'd passed over a threshold that he couldn't return from. Elliot began writing a manifesto titled, My Twisted World. He confided in his father that he was writing. But when his father asked if he could read it, he replied, No, I'll send it to you soon enough. It grew to 137 pages. Going back years, he described his hatred in great detail. He listed his enemies, those he perceived to be living the life he deserved. But then, in March, Elliot felt a twinge of hope. He decided that the road to finding female companionship rested in him becoming wealthy. But he had no talent, not like others in Hollywood. He wasn't an actor, a model, an athlete, or a musician. So he pinned his illusion on winning the lottery. But when September rolled around and Elliot didn't win, he cried for hours. Then in November, he made four trips to Arizona to purchase tickets for the Powerball lottery and his $500 million jackpot. When Elliot didn't win, his hopes faded and his plan for revenge was reborn. A month later, he purchased a semi-automatic pistol. By the spring of 2013, Elliot had saved up $5,000 and purchased a second pistol. Online, he discovered a site where men like himself, full of anger and hate, and used it to propel his plan for revenge. He set a date in November for what he called his Day of Retribution. The location would be Isla Vista, the college town where he would retaliate against those who had spurned him. In July, as his 22nd birthday neared, Elliot decided to give the female gender one last chance. The pounding back shots of vodka, it only helped to fuel his rage when the girls ignored him. He struck back by trying to push them off a 10-foot ledge, but a group of men stepped in, and it was Elliot who got pushed off the ledge. Elliot broke his leg. He added the house to his kill list. But his plans would have to wait. With his injury, it would be delayed to the spring. Then in August, something happened to boost his confidence. His mother bought him a black two-door BMW Series 3 Coupe. With a pair of cool sunglasses and his new car, he portrayed himself on social media as sophisticated and confident. 
In September, two new roommates moved into Elliot's apartment. He added them to his kill list. They would simply be in the way. He thought about Valentine's Day, but it wasn't enough time to prepare. And spring break in early April brought thousands of students to the streets to celebrate, which also brought a large number of police. So he moved it to late April. But then Elliot got sick, and it took weeks for him to get over a cold. So he pushed it to May 24th, the last week of the college semester. Elliot made several videos and posted them on social media. There he shared his views of hatred and self-loathing and asked why girls hated him. His mother saw the videos and reported them to his therapist, who requested the sheriff's office do a welfare check. Deputies knocked on his door. Elliot's heart pounded. Had they found out what he was planning? But after a lengthy discussion, he convinced them it was all a misunderstanding. Elliot was polite and calm, and deputies determined that he did not meet the criteria to be held for a mental health assessment. CNN's excerpt from Elliot's manifesto included in part... My orchestration of the Day of Retribution is my attempt to do everything in my power, to destroy everything I cannot have. And referring to the men who had luck with women, he stated, I will kill them all and make them suffer, just as they have made me suffer. It is only fair. The Santa Barbara Sheriff's Office report detailed what happened next. On May 22nd, as each of his roommates entered the apartment along with a friend, Elliot stabbed each of them to death. Just after 7.30 p.m., he emailed his manifesto to a dozen people, including his parents and his therapist, and posted a video on the internet that he'd made titled, Retribution. When his mother received the email, she searched online and found her son's video and immediately called Elliot's father, then police. But it was too late. Elliot had already slid behind the wheel of his BMW with his pistols by his side, a large quantity of ammunition, an 8-inch hunting knife, and a 6-inch knife. At 9.15 p.m., he drove to sorority house. He didn't have the security code, so he pounded on the front door. Those inside chose not to answer. Back in his car, he spotted three girls walking on the sidewalk. Veronica Weiss, Catherine Cooper, and Bianca DeCoke. Coming up slowly behind them with the driver's windows down, he raised his gun, and half a dozen shots rang out. The girl screamed as her bodies dropped. More shots rang out. Bianca landed on the sidewalk and yelled, I'm going to die. Catherine lay on the grass, 
her body riddled with six bullets. Veronica was fighting to breathe. A passerby went to take her pulse, but she stopped breathing. Calls flooded into the sheriff's office and they rushed to the scene. Bianca was the only one to survive. Elliot continued on his path of destruction. Christopher Michaels Martinez and a group of his friends were outside a deli when they heard popping sounds. At first, thinking there were fireworks left over from spring break, they ignored them. But then one of them suggested they might be gunshots and encouraged everyone to duck inside the deli. Christopher was in the doorway when he turned and looked towards the street, just as Elliot fired off six shots. Christopher fell to the ground and died from a single gunshot. At 9.30 p.m., John Fu was walking when he heard fireworks. As he crossed the street, he heard a vehicle engine's roar and turned to see a BMW swerve towards him. The car hit him with such force, his body flew into the air and he landed on the sidewalk, bruised but alive. Minutes later, Aaron Seglin and Bailey Maples were leaving a pizza shop when they noticed a dark-colored BMW drive up to them. Elliot rolled down his driver's window and let out a creepy laugh raised the black semi-automatic pistol and fired. Aaron saw a flash, then heard a bang and felt a pain in his arm. A bullet grazed Bailey's arm. They ran for their lives. Megan Carlotto was riding her bike to a friend's when she heard fireworks. She continued to ride and felt a pain in her leg. She looked down saw blood, and realized she'd been shot. Meanwhile, Elia's parents were racing the hundred miles from Los Angeles, frantic to get to their son. Elliot continued driving. Sierra Schwartz was walking with a friend when she heard fireworks. Then a black vehicle swerved towards her and stopped in the middle of the road. Elliot yelled out, Hey, what's up? And she replied, What's up? And continued walking. Holding a gun in his right hand, a grin crept across his face. Sierra saw the gun and thought, It can't be real. Then she felt a rush of wind go past her face. She ran to the closest house and burst in to safety. Patrick Eggert was riding his bicycle while his friend Nicholas Basichuk was on a skateboard. Patrick heard the fireworks but didn't pay them any attention. Then ominous headlights came up behind them as gunshots rang out. The force of the car sent Nicholas flying through the air. His head struck the windshield before landing on the street 50 feet away. Nicholas' leg was shattered the other broken. Patrick sprained his knee. Christopher Hung was walking with friends when he heard fireworks. 
Then a black BMW appeared out of nowhere and stopped. He saw the driver, then noticed the muzzle of a gun. He ran towards some bystanders who ushered him inside and locked the door. Victor Garcia and his roommate Donovan Jerinola were on their skateboards. Elliot aimed the BMW at Victor, knocking him into a parked car. Victor's leg hurt, but he was angry. He assumed the driver was drunk, got back on his skateboard, and started to chase the car down the block until he saw Elliot swerve, trying to hit pedestrians as he fired shots at them. Arun Singata was standing in front of a corner store when he heard fireworks, then saw a black BMW heading towards him. The driver swerved towards a group of people and just missed Arun by a foot. He jumped out of the way and turned to see the car swerve and hit Mitchell Libarski. Mitchell was thrown from his bike, but managed to get to his feet and turned to see the car accelerating towards another cyclist. It hit Yi Chung. He flew up and landed on the roof. More gunshots rang out. Keith managed to get away. Elliot's father tried calling his son's cell phone repeatedly, then began to hear ominous reports of a black BMW and a shooter at the university. Elliot G saw Mitchell get hit. He whipped out his cell phone and tried to video the BMW, thinking the driver must be drunk. Elliot spotted him, pushed his foot down on the gas pedal, and steered the car directly at him. Mr. Jean jumped out of the way, but not before the car clipped his leg. Antoine Churchin and his friend Alexander Kurdian had just left a party on their skateboards. Matthew Smith was walking six feet behind them when the BMW stopped ten feet from him. Suddenly, Matthew heard five to ten gunshots. He was struck twice, but managed to duck behind a parked car. Antoine was struck four times, his arm gushing blood, and he collapsed on the street. Alexander ran over to him, removed his belt, and made a tourniquet to stop the bleeding, and dragged his friend to safety. By 9.33 p.m., deputies had flooded the area, many of them on foot. The BMW headed for them, driving erratically, the driver visible through the gaping hole on the windshield. Elliot pointed the barrel out the driver's window and fired. Deputies fired back. Elliot swung his car into a parking lot and parked. Perhaps he was reloading. A minute later, he gunned it towards the deputies again. They managed to fire off a few rounds before he sped away. Elliot had been struck by a bullet in his left hip. Nearing an intersection, Elliot made the decision to carry out the last act of his day of retribution. He raised the gun and ended his life. Elliot was dead at 22, and the carnage came to a stop. As Elliot's parents neared his apartment, 
The sheriff's office intercepted them. In a parking lot, they learned their son was gone and that he was a mass murderer of six innocent lives, an attempted murder of 23 civilians, and an untold number of law enforcement officers who put their lives on the line to stop him. When asked later by the media about her son, his mother responded, I feel the world's attention should be focused on the victim's loved one and remembering the beautiful lives that were so tragically lost. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Crystal Paskinen. Donning her red cowboy hat, Crystal was having fun dancing at a local bar, but when she accepted a ride home with Ken, he brutally murdered her. Out on parole after serving 21 years, Ken went hunting for his next victim. If you're dying to hear more, Past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or murderin20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music sound effect from Vaseline Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers. <laughs>